Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. This is the Sikkim Podcast, presented by your friend in the car business, Alan Samuels Dodge Chrysler Jeep Ram Fiat in Waco, online at alansamuelsdcj.com. The Sikkim Podcast is a production of Baylor Athletics. Now, here are your hosts, Brooke Bednars and the voice of the Bears, John Morris. Hi, everybody, and welcome to this week's Sikkim Podcast, a production of Baylor Athletics. We're glad you're with us this week, and we come to you as we record the podcast this week from the Billy W. Williams Golf Practice Facility and Clubhouse down University Parks Drive just off campus. And our special guest is Baylor men's golf coach, Mike McGraw, and I'm John Morris alongside Brooke Bednars. We are, uh, I'll admit to everyone, we're together in the same room recording. We are separated here, socially distanced, but uh, Brooke, it's good to see you, and Coach, it is good to see you, and it's always great to come to this uh, clubhouse. Yeah, thank you very much, John. It's great to be here, and I'm glad you all are here today. I'm glad you can enjoy the clubhouse with us. Yeah, it's beautiful. It really is. It really is. This is my first time here, and I was taken away when I got to drive down the the road and step in here for the first time. So very impressed. Does this, does this, do you have everything you need right here? I know this was uh, kind of your goal or, or you had this goal when you came to Baylor. Uh, how has that been fulfilled so far? Very well. I think that, you know, you'd be hard pressed to find in NCAA golf a uh, better on-campus facility. I'm, I'm considering it's on-campus because when I look out my office window, oh, I, agree. I can see where the guys <laughs> live in apartments. So yeah. it's close enough that, uh, it's on campus, but you'd, you'd have a hard time finding something better than this that's on campus, that's this big, that's this versatile, that has a clubhouse like this, that has everything from locker rooms to showers to indoor hitting bay, import, indoor putting, sand putt lab, uh, hitting bays, the all the video. It's got a you know locker room, lounge area, team meeting room. It's got everything we need. And it's right here on campus. So. Yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah. And I, I would uh, – that was a big part of the motivation, wasn't it, to get it on campus instead of having to drive uh, way across town. This gives uh, guys and the girls' team time to come here between classes. It's much more functional. It is more functional. It does give them the opportunity. If they had a class canceled or if uh, we finished practice, they don't have to – you know, if they, they can go in town or go back on campus, mm-hmm. do a tutor – eat dinner, do whatever they need to do there, they could still come out here mm. and practice. And we've got lights on the building, so I know they practice quite a bit at night. Uh, it's a good place to do that. And they also have Wi-Fi throughout the building, so they do a lot of studying here as well. So, yeah, it's a good it's a good spot I would have killed for this yeah. <laughs> <laughs> as a collegiate truth? athlete, for sure. How would you say it kind of came to be? I've heard there's a pretty unique story as to how all the pieces kind of came together to make this what it is. Well, uh, it took a lot of people uh, that cared a lot about Baylor athletics, but it started with Billy W. Williams himself. He was a a football player at Baylor, and he's supported so many projects on campus and different teams and different things. He's been very, very philanthropic. Um, Billy's no longer with us, unfortunately. He passed away in December of 2015, but he came on campus in the fall of 2014, that first semester I was here, and gave a... Uh, a a nice uh, interest level, if you will, in the fact that he thought he, you know, would like to help us if we ever got a a piece of property. And I went to Ian McCaw and said, Ian, I'd love to, I'd love to build a practice facility here. I think we could raise the money, but it's very difficult to raise money to buy a piece of land. Mm -hmm. It's much easier to have the land and say, okay, here's where we're going to build it. Would you like to? And so, Ian worked very closely with university officials and got this land earmarked uh, right down University Parks, earmarked for men's and women's golf, uh, should we be able to raise the money. And then Billy gave the first gift. It was basically for half the facility, whatever that cost. And, you know, I was telling somebody the other day, if I was, if I had a brain in my head, I would have said, yeah, Billy, it's going to cost a hundred million (laughs) dollars, but I wasn't smart enough. He, um, 
but he he did and and the family even after billy passed away the family took care of the complete pledges and got all of it paid so they paid for half of this facility but uh not to be lost on this was uh, was um was nick florence who this was his first project as a as a development officer within the athletic department with the Bear foundation and and he just did an amazing job of getting all the right people involved, uh, letting us meet, Jay Goebel and I meet all the right people to make this happen. And so many people jumped on board and knew that it would be a worthwhile project. And to get men's and women's golf, which we were 22 minutes from campus, that's a long way to go mm-hmm. to practice. And honestly, the, the facility there only had two artificial greens. It didn't even have a real putting or chipping green at the time. And so – to get them not only a better facility, and, but on campus where you can use it, I mean, like all the time, was amazing. So it was a combination of Ian McCaw understanding that, yeah, that would be a great project. We need to get this land for them. Billy Williams coming up with the initial gift, the lead gift. And then uh, Nick Florence uh, getting a lot of other people excited about wanting to be a part of the project. I love hearing that. That's yeah. awesome. And help me remember, I remember the dedication was his, was it his son, his grandson that was here at Baylor? Right. I remember that from the, the right. dedication. Well, when, when we, uh, we did the dirt work and irrigation and all that, that whole bit of work was done in the fall or the summer of 2016. We overseeded in the fall. And so we were going to open the project uh, for grass. The clubhouse wasn't going to be here, but on January of 2017. Okay. And... So I thought it would be appropriate. None of our guys had hit a shot. They hadn't even been out here. None of our women's golf team had been out here. We, they knew kind of where it was, but they hadn't been on property. And um, so I called Billy Bizub, and Billy, is, his grandfather is Billy Williams. Mm-hmm. And Billy Bizub was a freshman at Baylor. Actually, it was, gonna, it was his sophomore year. And Billy, I said, Billy, what are you doing on January 7th? And he said, I think I'm still in Chicago. I think I fly back on the 8th. I said, change your flights. <laughs> and he he said, why would I do that, coach? And I said, because I want you to hit the first three golf shots on the facility. Nice. Wow. And he's, he was just so nervous. First of all, he was going to be winter in Chicago. You're not playing a lot of golf. <laughs> right. He went to Top Golf three or four times. He, he practiced that week before. And uh, we had Ping, uh, who's been a great company for us. Uh, make three sort of, uh, I don't know, uh, ceremonial mm-hmm. five irons uh, in that etched with, you know, the Billy W. Williams Golf Facility and Clubhouse on it. And uh, he hit all three shots perfect. I mean, just beautiful. So he christened the facility with those three shots, and then both teams practiced for a couple of hours, and we had some donors out that day. It was a, a wonderful day and a warm enough day in January, whereas – I remember my days in Stillwater. You didn't have a lot of those days in <laughs> January. Right. So it was good to be able to do that. I was going to say, if you made me go hit golf shots, I'd be practicing for weeks yeah. in preparation. <laughs> well, well, he, oh, my game needs a little work. <laughs> he delivered that day beautifully. They were three absolutely identical, perfect five irons that probably went 205 yards in the air, dead straight. Wow. Yeah, with great. the pressure on him. Yeah, with the pressure on For him. sure. That's yeah. great. Well, you've been here. Uh, you finished six seasons going into your seventh season. Safe to say uh, season number six here was not like any other you've probably had. You've uh, been through a lot in 23 years uh, coaching at the Division One level, but just tell us, give us a sense of what it was like for you and your team going through this uh, spring that ended so abruptly. Well, I think probably this is repeated on every campus in the country because everybody, you know, had great hopes, great anticipation. You're just getting into the spring season. We'd played two tournaments, and we I think we were ranked about ninth or tenth in the country with great hopes, you know, we were going to have a great spring and, and, uh, Colin Cober and Cooper Dossie were our senior team captains and they wanted to go out on top. You know, they'd had a really good freshman year where we made match play at the national championship, but we hadn't played as well at nationals the last two years. So they were wanting to kind of take care of the mm-hmm. unfinished business. And like most every other team, you were just shocked. They just canceled our postseason, and you're going, what in the world is happening? And then, of course, a lot more happened than just college golf being canceled. A, a whole lot more happened. So um, I think it was disappointing. It was shocking. But also, if, if as a coach, you've probably never had a better platform uh, to kind of 
teach and model how you handle adversity and what that looks like and what you're supposed to do. It's like that's a perfect time. You wouldn't ask for it, but when it came to fruition where we had, oh, my goodness, what are we going to do? We had to kind of shift gears, and my assistant coach at the time, Ryan Blagg, and I, we just kind of thought let's go into overdrive and figure out what we can do to keep these guys engaged, to certainly keep them motivated to get through the end of the semester with online classes. But everybody had to do that, mm -hmm. whether you were a biology teacher on campus or a softball coach or a professor, you know, whatever, whatever it was, everybody had to shift gears and stop, pause, pivot, and move on in another direction. You mentioned your two senior captains. Um, the NCAA did come out and allow those seniors the opportunity to decide whether or not they wanted to return. Um, I actually got the chance to speak with Cooper in the middle of all of this for the Bears Den. We did an interview with him and Luke, um, and he, you know, was honest in that he talked a lot about how he wasn't a hundred percent sure, you know, what he was going to do, but ultimately did make the decision, like Colin, to come back for this uh, next year, an extra senior season, um, as a coach, you have to be happy to hear that they wanted to continue to try to finish that unfinished business with Baylor. Well, actually, he and Colin came to me before the NCAA actually gave the additional year. And they said, Coach, we just want you to know if the NCAA does do that, because they had heard rumors that that was going to happen. Mm -hmm. And I had told them, there's a chance you're going to get a chance for a senior another year in all four classes would actually have an additional year mm -hmm. of eligibility. But they came to me beforehand and said, if they do that, we would love to come back. Uh, we want to finish what we started, and we think we can do some great things. And, you know, they wanted, obviously, to be senior team captains again. They wanted to give it another shot, and they had been doing such a great job. But I thought that was great leadership right there. They talked to their parents. Is it okay if, if they give us another year? We want to come back regardless. And – uh, even, even if we have to pay for it, whatever it takes. And I thought that was really great for both of them and showed me that their investment in the, their teammates and what they've done here at Baylor is pretty pretty strong if, they, if they're going to make that decision before the NCAA even gave the year back. And then when they did, uh, they both went on Twitter immediately and said, you know, <laughs> I want to come back for my senior year, blah, blah, blah. So they were really the first notable seniors in the country who did that and I was very proud of them for doing that, and it spoke volumes to their teammates, you know, that they were coming back anyway, and um, so really proud of them for that. Yeah, they didn't. They weren't following the pack. They didn't wait to see what other guys, other schools were doing. They were leading the pack. And and how much for Cooper? How much par, a part of his decision was uh, coming back with his brother Luke being here? How much does that factor in? Well, it factored in a little bit. I will tell you that um, poor Luke just had just a. A dreadful freshman year. Right. He had an emergency appendectomy before the, you know, in August, and then he had a lower back, major lower back issue, and got all that rehabbed, and then broke his leg when the two, <laughs> probably a, a week after we got back it. from our second tournament. What kind of what kind of training camp you running here? <laughs> <laughs> That's a rough go. It it I've never, in fact, in three years I've never had this many injuries yeah. in the history of my college coaching career. But I will tell you this: Luke came back from that broken leg yesterday in his first golf tournament back, the qualifying for the men's state amateur, and he shot 67 oh, and won wow. the golf at four under wow. par. So his first his return to golf, he shot four under par yesterday. And I know Cooper is very proud of his little brother. And, um, you know, they'd always dreamed about this year they were going to spend together, sure. but now they get to spend one more year together and hopefully a year where Luke is in the mix because he's healthy the whole time. So. Four under, correct me if I'm wrong, but Trey Bosco, mm -hmm. is that how you say that? Yes. He also tied Luke. He did. As in one of your incoming freshmen and is going to play in that amateur. Um, as a coach sitting here, you can't do much because of COVID going on. Fortunately, golf is one of those sports that is still being able to mm -hmm. be played right now. Um, seeing the leaderboard with both of them tied first, both qualifying, you got to feel good about that. Well, and, and – Trey had struggled in a tournament just the week before, hadn't played well in a tournament, and Luke hadn't played at all. So it was neat to see those guys. You know, qualifying, you really have only one thing to gain, and that's to advance. It's not like you get a trophy, you don't get a big write-up or anything. It's like just survive and advance to the championship. And both of them did, and really proud of them for doing that. So they get to play in the state amateur next week, which is honestly it's one of the best state amateurs in the whole country. Uh, Texas produces the best junior golfers, the best amateur golfers, and the best professionals 
in the world. It's just like it's been that way forever. And it, I, I make that statement. It's pretty bold, but this, there's more World Golf Hall of Famers that either are born from Texas or live in Texas than any other state, and it's not even close. Wow. So it's a great state for golf, and to play in the men's state amateur here is a, is a great honor. And I'm looking at this picture over here, the one of Ryan Greider with the trophy last year. He had won it last year. So um, that's a, a big deal for, for our program when we have a player win it last year and then two young men like this actually win the qualifying for it. Summertime means vacation time. And while this summer may be different, at Allen Samuels, you can always count on our huge summer clearance event. It's on. We're moving out all remaining new 2020s. Every Dodge and Chrysler car and SUV. Every Ram truck and we haven't left out Jeep. They've got to go too. Deep discounts, special factory offers, and financing. It's time to say goodbye. Adios, 2020s. Allen Samuels Dodge Chrysler Jeep Ram Fiat. Drive forward. Bentwood Realty is a full-service real estate firm with more than 70 high-achieving agents who desire to make a positive impact in their local communities. Their agents stay actively involved in all buying, selling, and investing real estate transactions to make sure their clients receive the utmost level of service. Established in 2011 by brokers Kim Galvan and Rick Hines, both proud Baylor alumni, call Bentwood Realty today, 254-300-4800. They're at 601 Lake Air Drive in Waco and Bentwood realty.com now back to the sikkim podcast presented by your friend in the car business alan samuels dodge chrysler jeep ram fiat our guest is mike mcgraw baylor men's golf coach a three-time national championship coach and as we said going into his seventh year here at baylor can we uh can we go back into your past uh let's go back to oklahoma your Days growing up there, coaching at Edmond North High School, and then well-chronicled uh, stint at Oklahoma State, first as an assistant to Mike Holder and then succeeding him at Oklahoma State. Uh, Coach, you've got a very, very impressive, storied uh, uh, coaching career, really even before you came here to Baylor. Well, I was very fortunate to, uh, one, I took over a high school program in Edmond that was already very strong. It was I hadn't built that. I was a junior golf director at the golf course, so I had something to do with it. But, I, you know, I inherited a pretty great program right there, uh, which was great. And then I went to Oklahoma State, and they had been the most impressive, you know, dynasty in the history of college golf. And so I worked as an assistant there for several years. And when Mike Holder became the athletic director, you know, I was his first hire. So that was very humbling and was able to, you know, have a good run there. I think we had a – six really good years and then two not so good years and that's <laughs> that's how I made my exit from Stillwater uh, by Oklahoma State standards not Oklahoma, not so yeah, good years we were 12th ranked 12th in the country when yeah. I was let go but um, I know it wasn't it wasn't what uh, the Oklahoma State fans or alums or donors or anybody wanted or even Mike Holder who you know he obviously had to make the decision but anyway I went from there to Alabama for one year as an assistant coach which I'll be hard-pressed to find a year that was more invigorating um, just to kind of infuse myself with enthusiasm again. The enthusiasm I had as a young 26-year-old coach, it came back. And so that year served its purpose. It got me back up on the – and we did win the national And the national championship. Yeah, let's throw that (laughs) in there. (laughs) And uh, then then got to Baylor, and it's just been an amazing, amazing six years here. I'm I'm thrilled. You know, somebody – told me uh, or asked me that first year I was here, so how long do you think you'll be at Baylor? And I said, what are you talking about? <laughs> do you know something I don't know? Oh, right. But he was—he just thought it was like a stepping stone. And yeah. I said, no, I'm always where I am. I mean, I don't, I don't take a job so I can get another job. I don't operate that way. I, I did not want to leave Oklahoma State, and I never dreamed of being a coach at Oklahoma State. I thought I was going to be an Edmund coaching high school golf forever. Loves teaching school. I was a you know, a junior golf director at the golf course. I wrote a column for the Edmund Sun, you know, newspaper. I mean, I thought that's what I was going to do. And then Mike Holder hired me. And then I thought, hmm, okay, college golf, this is great. And then he, I got the job at Oklahoma State. Never dreamed I'd be leaving. I did. And so I never had a thought that I would take a job to get another job. Sure. So this Baylor job is for as long as, as they'll have me. Hmm. So. 
There is one one little tidbit I have here on my sheet that you might have glossed over, but um, I've been told that you have a year of coaching women's golf. Oh, this <laughs> and is good. I would love, as the female in the room, to hear a little bit about how that was in midst of all of your time as a men's coach. Well... Let's put it this way. I had five sisters, and you would have thought I would have learned something. <laughs> I was going to say, you should be prepared. I was not. It was bad. <laughs> so we were in our first team meeting, and I got the job in August. So I had been the men's and women's assistant coach for seven years. And so uh, that summer, our women's coach became the senior women's administrator. And so I got the job pretty much August 15th. I mean, I was recruiting internet i mean i was it was so on the fly mm-hmm. but i didn't even think about it we didn't have any uniforms and we had the same girls returning and only one freshman <laughs> so i when i got right down to it we could use last year's uniform right. we could make it work but i was in the first team meeting and i said girls we've got a problem i'm gonna have to you know scramble here to get some uniforms we can use last year's for kind of starting the fall but i need to order some uniforms so uh so I need to get some sizes here. And uh, Karen, what do you weigh? Like a buck twenty? Oh no, Coach! <laughs> and she, she looked at me and she says, and with this glare in her eyes, and she says, "I weighed 120 in the seventh grade. What are you talking about? You you can't say that to a girl's golf." Team. I said, well, "I don't. Oh, I don't I'm just trying to get clothes here." Yeah. For the- <laughs> at least you lowballed it. You, that was well, good. I just I, anyway. That was the start of a very very interesting year. It would take. A couple of hours to tell you all the stories, but it is easily the best learning experience of a, as a coach that I've ever had because uh, it took me a whole semester to figure it out. Coaching is still coaching. It doesn't matter, but you've got to push the right buttons. And so it, with, when you're coaching a women's golf team, you've got to throw in a little shopping at a tournament. You've got to throw in uh, – you've got to do some things that are above and beyond just the competition. Mm-hmm. Uh, and – You've got to make it, you know, you've just got to be a little different. And I didn't know that. I thought they're just, they're athletes. I'll just coach them the same way. Well, that sounds good, but I needed to take a little different approach. But having learned that, and I did very well the second semester, we had a great semester, and I'll I'll never forget that as long as I live. And But it reminded me when I became a men's coach again that I've got 10 guys on the team, and all of them need to be coached very differently. And I never looked at it like that before. I would just take a paintbrush and just take this, you know, paint everybody the same color. It's the same thing. We're all the same. Let's just do this. Mm -hmm. And it's not. And so learning that women's coaching, I had to take a different approach. Uh, And I learned that from one of the men's uh, players' fathers who came and visited. I had recruited his son to Oklahoma State. And but I wasn't coaching his son as a freshman, so we were having dinner, and he said, "You're just not pushing the right buttons." He was listening to these stories and just going like, "You got to change your approach." <laughs> and he was right, and but it made me a better coach because I learned that when I do coach the men again, or if I ever got to again, or if I did again, whatever it would be, I would do that differently too. So there's very few things you can say are universal for all ten guys on your team. Mm-hmm. Be on time. That's universal. We're leaving it two tomorrow uh, practices at four whatever those things are but as far as how you coach each guy that's different so the women taught me that which is great that story those stories uh, are literally a chapter in your book you have a book uh, better than i found it is the name of it what was that process going like what was it like for you to write that book and is it basically you're famous for your your journals that you keep is it basically kind of sharing things from your journals with the world through your book. Well, yeah, I never m- meant to write a book. I mean, I didn't didn't think I was going to write a book. Um, and the journals had been kind of, not legendary, that's a little strong word, but coaches around the college golf world all knew that I kept these yeah. journals. And I'll never forget when uh, Chris Hackett, Georgia, said, that's not a journal, that's a diary. <laughs> oh. I said, whoa, Chris, whoa. whoa. Uh, but... But the journals had become, you know, they like, what are you doing here? You're you're jotting down every team meeting, every individual meeting, every practice, everything you do is documented. And I just kind of kept those journals and quotes and stories about players and different things that I thought were important that, to, that I wanted to remember were written down. And after the NCAA championship in 2016, um, uh, but during that championship, one of the coaches said, why don't you just write a book? Mm-hmm. And I said, well, I don't think I could. He said, well, you got all those journals and all those notes. I said, those notes are written from me, not 
for the world, so I'd have to completely reconfigure. I don't, I don't even know how I'd do it. But I, on the plane back, I started thinking about it, and I thought, oh, maybe I could do this. And so I, I started putting it together. I wrote from about June 10th to November 1st, and I was just dead tired. Mm-hmm. I just didn't – I was flat. I didn't know – they call it writer's block or something. Well, I had it. So I put the book up for about 25 days, and the day after Thanksgiving started writing again. But I didn't have a title for it. And so I'd given our team opportunity, give me a name for it. But I didn't let them read the book first. So they didn't really know what the content was. They just knew it was about my career. And anyway, so my wife came up with the idea, go back to what your dad taught you or find something he taught you and use that. And and one of the things he always said was, doesn't matter where you are, you you could be in a meeting, you could be in practice, you could be, you know, having dinner with your wife, you could do, it doesn't matter what you're doing. Just leave that situation, that person, that's that room better than you found it. Mm. And I think you've heard the state, you know, the saying, leave it better than you found sure. it. Everybody's heard mm-hmm. that. But when she said that, I said, well, better than you found it. And it doesn't sound better than I found it is what I thought it would be. And that's what I would try to do with this profession. So that was number one. It was for my colleagues. And well, number one, it was for me. It was therapeutic to write about this story and it's certainly getting let go at Oklahoma State and then kind of reemerging at, at Baylor. So that was therapeutic. Number two, I wanted to write it for young coaches because I didn't want all these young coaches to go to the place that I went, which was dark. I mean, as far as results mattering so much that it just crushed you every time the team didn't play well and took days to recover. Didn't want young coaches doing that, but I didn't want old coaches doing that either. And when I spoke at the convention that December, so I started re-finishing re- that book in Thanksgiving. We had the coaches convention in Las Vegas about two weeks later, and I was scheduled to speak. And the subject did not; it wasn't. It just said Mike McGraw Baylor, mm. and I was going to speak for an hour and a half. Oh wow! Yeah. What I was going to do was basically speak this book, but not tell them about the book. I didn't want to sell any books through a speech. Mm-hmm. So the 350 coaches there, and I was talking to them. And one of the things, uh, I, I just talked to them about this dark place that we've all been. Every one of you has been there. And I'm telling you, this is the way out. So I spoke to him. And one of the coaches, a very well-known national championship coach, pulled me aside. We went into a, a separate meeting room there. And he just started bawling he just started crying and he was just like you were speaking straight to me i've been there for five straight years i can't i don't know what to do and we just talked through it but it was like i wrote it for him too because he knows that i can relate to where he was but all of those young coaches in that room and then all the young coaches who have read it i think i've had about 500 reviews um by text message phone email letter whatever uh, that talk about yeah you know what it's like you were almost just talking to me mm. and that's good to know so that's why i wrote the book i didn't write it to make money because i certainly didn't make a lot of money how does that make you feel knowing that what you were doing for so long just to kind of help yourself be therapeutic has in turn you know like john you mentioned you're reading it mm-hmm. and you're not a golf coach but other people are reading this book and everyone's taking something away from it uh when it was just, it started out as just something that was helping you. Yes. Um, I think it, everybody has a story. We've all got one and, but it reminded me. And then I was able to talk to other coaches about it. Regardless of you're a seventh grade volleyball coach at Sequoia middle school in Edmond, Oklahoma, or you're uh, Nick Saban at Alabama, you know, you could be anywhere in between and, some people would say, well, Nick's much more famous, much more successful. But how? who's to say he's more successful than that seventh-grade volleyball coach? Who's to say it? Because impact is what it's really about. And so, number one, I wanted these other coaches to realize, you, you know, you are impacting lives here at any level. You're just doing it. And number two, when you go to that dark place and you stay there and it's all that's important is results – then you can't impact these people you're supposed to be impacting. You're not going to be the coach you're supposed to be. And so um, I I just allowed it. I mean, I'm not blaming anyone. I knew the expectations of the Oklahoma State golf program going in. I understood it. I'd like to create those same expectations here. You know, I'd like to get it to the point where people would expect that. But they do expect more than they did before. So it's good. But now it's my perception of how I'm handling that it's changing. And so that's what I encourage young coaches to do is fight, work, scrape, do everything you can 
just be disciplined, do all the things that we all talk about all the time. But when the competition is over, accept it. I expect it to hurt for a few minutes. But once you've done that, it's time to move on and inspire these young men on your team to be better than they were and learn from it. So that's why I wrote the book. And it was it was self-published. So I sold about 4,000 books out of my house and mailed every one of them. That's stupid. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Amazon that's needs work. to. That is a lot of work. Yeah. Yeah, and the ladies at the post office, they know exactly who I am when I'm walking in. with. But, uh, you know, we've I've sold out and I'm uh, – I don't have any more, and I wasn't going to do another printing, but I've had a lot of people ask me about it lately, so I may do a, a paperback version of it, a little less expensive, and and get it out one more printing, and then. Uh, but anyway, it was, it had every intention to help me first, and it did that. So I, I got what I wanted out of that, and then I think it's helped some other people as well. I was going to say yes, please do because add me on that list. <laughs> I would love to read Baylor it. Bookstore. Yes, check the Baylor Bookstore. <laughs> If you need a trailer, Flat Rock Trailers has got you covered. From light-duty single-axle utility trailers to the big Tex tandem duels. We also carry a full line of enclosed cargo trailers. Need a motorcycle trailer? We've got them. Need a dump trailer? We've got the largest selection in the state. Oil field trailers? We carry a full line of big Tex trailers to handle all your needs. Trailer repairs? We repair all makes and models. We'll even rent you a trailer if you need to use one for a day. Flat Rock Trailers, your number one source for all your trailer needs. Find us at flatrocktrailers.com. Relationships, community, home. Now more than ever, these are the things that we're holding fast to. Home should restore us from today and ready us for tomorrow. It's where stories are told and relationships are forged. Within those walls, memories are made, laughter is shared, and family is gathered around the table. For these reasons, we believe in home and that right now there is no better place to be. If you and your family are looking to buy or sell a home, head over to magnoliarealty.com. Magnolia is a proud sponsor of Baylor Athletics. To say my wife and I have a lot to clean is an understatement. So we go to TNG Chemical, where the pros know what cleaning solutions to use and give us detailed instructions on exactly how to use them. We never got that kind of advice from any other stores. And the prices at TNG are great, from general household cleaners to odor control solutions for our pets. We go to TNG Chemical and Supply. That's why. TNG Chemical and Supply. That's why. You're tuned in to the Sikkim Podcast. Uh, it is a production of Baylor Athletics presented by Alan Samuels, Dodge Chrysler, Jeep, Ram, Fiat. AlanSamuelsDCJ.com is the website. Make sure to subscribe to the Sikkim Podcast on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast, and catch us each week for a new Sikkim Podcast. We're with Mike McGraw, Baylor men's golf coach. Can we go back to Oklahoma State? And uh, you you write about this in the book. I'm about halfway through it as we record this. But, uh, you know, really a, a dream job for you. You talk about when you got that job and you have great success there. But in the end, ultimately, you're asked to leave there. How did you how have you handled that with so much grace? Well, uh, my faith for one, and you know, it's funny because when Mike Holder came in to tell me he was going to uh, make a change and let me go, it was on a Wednesday and all my guys were at tournaments. Well, nine of the 12 players were playing in, in amateur tournaments that it was early June. And he, um, he told me he was going to make a change and let me go. And I, I asked him, I said, well, I'd like to make three requests if I could. I thanked him. It, it was a gut wrenching deal for me because I'd never been fired, but uh, about 15 seconds later, I realized, well, that's probably a pretty good thing because now I get to go coach again. I don't know where, but I'm going to get to coach because the last few years had not been coaching. I don't know what that was. But I said, uh, you know, I would like to wait until Friday to announce it if that's possible because um, I've got all these players. I don't want to disrupt their tournament. Uh, I would like to uh, – I would certainly like to for you to keep Brian Goots, who was my assistant at the time. He's doing a great job and he just loves OSU and I think and he said okay and I said and finally um, w when people ask you I want you to tell them you fired me that I didn't step aside to you know just take pursue other opportunities because that's a real politically correct way of just kind of pushing it to the sure. side I mean you let me go so I need need people to know that and he said oh that's fine and Mike always under promised and over delivered he never really I mean, he always did everything he said he was going to do for me and more. So, uh, you know, I totally respected his decision to go another direction. And you asked how I was able to handle it with grace. But it was like 
So I went home to my wife that night, and on some level she was relieved as well, but we prayed about it for a couple of days, and I, I knew the answer, and that was, this is my chance to teach the former players that had for 24 years and any future players and the current players on my team. It's like, okay, this is this sounds like adversity. It feels like adversity, but real adversity is a cancer, you know, a terminal cancer diagnosis. Uh, a tornado just came through and wiped out everything you ever had and you didn't have insurance. I mean, those are pretty critical things mm-hmm. right there. Losing a job, I'm sure I'll – I'll land on my feet. It'll it'll be fine. We'll make it happen, make it work. And then uh, to forgive Mike Holder sort of almost immediately was important. Uh, to Like, thank you very much for this opportunity. You know, I'm ready to move on and let's go do this. And, and a lot of people around me were not as – they were like really upset, and I said, "You know, if if I'm fine with it, why why shouldn't you be? Mm-hmm. It's like I can handle this. It's okay." And it it worked out great because Friday evening, after I told all my players that morning and the current players and my family, uh, Mike Holder announced it on the internet, and JC Will at the University of Alabama uh, called me about 45 minutes later and offered me the job <laughs> as his assistant. So worked out well. I, didn't see any other way. I mean, if I was going to be bitter that day when he fired me, then I have to go back in time to eight years before, um, or actually 16 years before when he hired me as his assistant and said, you'll never be the golf coach at Oklahoma State, so don't even get that in your mind. And his first hire as the athletic director was me. So I'd have to go back there in time and thank him you know, from the mountaintops, it's like, thank you so much for this opportunity. You never, you said would never occur and you're giving it to me now. So it, I, I couldn't do that because the time had already passed. So it was like, just move on, just move on. Well, what stands out to me in that moment is the first request you as a coach were still putting your players first. They were in tournaments and you were putting them first. And then you talked about, you know, handling this and it's going to be a public you know, everyone's going to know and they're going to see how you handle it. And that was a teaching moment, not just for yourself, but for those current players that you had, for the, the former players that you had. And I mean, some of those players, when you look at the players that you've coached and I mean, they're on the PGA tour right now, Ricky Fowler, Charles Howell, Morgan Hoff, you, the, the list goes on and on and on. Um, that, that just says volumes about the coach that you are, and it makes very much sense that Alabama and you know picked up the phone that quickly. Well, and J.C. Will is a, a fine as fine a Christian manager you'll ever find, and so I knew that that would work out well between us. And that's another thing about if your faith is there, and, and if um, you know if your faith is strong, you would know that okay, this isn't what I asked for, and it's not even what I wanted, but honestly. I'm going to land someplace, and if that's a, a small junior college someplace, so be it, or back high school coaching. I was plenty happy as a high school coach, really enjoying myself. But when Jay called, I thought, he's got and, – and I'll make a distinction right there. When he called me, he said, Mike, I want you to come work with me. And he didn't say for me. He said with me, and he never introduced me as his assistant coach the entire year I was there. Mm. So – and we just had the most amazing time together. It was great. But he said on that phone call, he said, um, um, now, I appreciate because I said yes immediately. I didn't even talk to Pam about it. <laughs> it just like, I don't know why I said yes. It was like, mm-hmm. I can do this. But he said, now, before you start heading down this way to, to visit, I want you to know I don't want the guy I've seen the last three or four years at Oklahoma State. I want the seventh grade social studies teacher. I want the junior golf director at Kicking Bird Golf Course. I want the high school golf coach. That guy needs to show up in Tuscaloosa because that other guy, he's kind of beat up, and he's not you. So I want the other guy to show up. And when he said that, I knew that he would, he had been thinking about this, and his assistant coach had taken a job a few days earlier, but or he knew it a few days earlier. He actually accepted the job that morning. So, Jay – Jay uh, was the perfect jumping off spot, landing spot to, you know, re-energize for a year and figure out what. And it might have been longer than that. I told him if, you know, we won the national championship and uh, I always claimed to him that you fired me the next day. I had to go get a job. (laughs) (laughs) And he says I quit. So I don't know. Relationships, community, home. 
Now more than ever, these are the things that we're holding fast to. Home should restore us from today and ready us for tomorrow. It's where stories are told and relationships are forged. Within those walls, memories are made, laughter is shared, and family is gathered around the table. For these reasons, we believe in home and that right now there is no better place to be. If you and your family are looking to buy or sell a home, head over to magnoliarealty.com. Magnolia is a proud sponsor of Baylor Athletics. I hate my job, but I don't mind getting up in the morning. I dread each day, but I can't wait to get out of bed. You ask me why, and what I'll say to you is true. Well, you can get breakfast tacos at Rudy's Barbecue. Scrambled eggs and brisket, they ain't fooling around. Salsa wraps on there, the best in town. Barbecue for breakfast, yes, it's true. Put a smile on your morning at Rudy's Barbecue. You're listening to the Sikkim Podcast, a production of Baylor Athletics. Here again are Brooke Bednars and John Morris. We are here with head men's golf coach Mike McGraw. We were just talking about your transition to Alabama. You finished that year with a national championship, and then you found yourself with a wealth of opportunities and you ultimately chose to come to Baylor. Um, Previously you were mentioning how you relied on your faith and that is always a turning point for you. Um, Would you say that that was kind of a draw that Baylor, you know, with the Christian background and the mission and everything about it, would you say that that was something that you, it drew you to this program? It did. It did a lot actually. And, um, you know, it always, when I was a public school teacher, when I was at Oklahoma State, when I was at Alabama, you if somebody asked you about your faith, you could, you know, if they, if they had to ask, you couldn't, you know, talk mm-hmm. about it. Here it's, it's expected, you know, you should be able to talk about your faith. Um, you know, we have some kids, a couple of kids on the team I know that are probably not Christians. We, we have plenty that are. And it's like uh, I believe that God's going to put you where you're supposed to be. I just believe that. And so um, – when this job came up, and it was the last of six jobs that came up, and I was on my way to probably accept a job at another school, and Ian McCaw called, and I was like, wow, this could be right. This could be really good. So, um, but, and, and I basically, um, I, he didn't have to tell me what he was going to pay me. That probably wasn't going to matter that much. I needed the the excitement of a new challenge, a new job, and Greg Priest had left the program in great Great shape. It was great. And he had great kids. Every year they were graduating, always competitive on the golf course. And so a lot of good things were set in place. I didn't have to rebuild a golf program. And Greg had, had it in a good spot. So, but uh, the Christian mission is really important. And, you know, I don't know how many, how many uh, golf coaches in the country get an email from their president every week that's got a prayer in there. I, I don't know, but it's like that's incredible. You know, when I read that, I'm always a little bit more calmed down about whatever's going on in our university or in the college, collegiate athletics world. Uh, Linda Livingstone's been just amazing. And she's an Oklahoma State graduate. Yeah, you yeah. <laughs> that's right. Full circle. <laughs> yeah. So you were pretty far down the road uh, to taking another job or choosing between several offers even before you got the call from Baylor. Well, I turned down some others, and I wasn't going to get one job, Florida, where they were not going to hire me. I have no idea why they brought me down there <laughs> because <laughs> I had this gray head of hair, uh-huh. and they wanted somebody young. Yeah. And I thought, I should have colored my hair before. Because <laughs> literally that was not going to happen. But there was another school in the Southeastern Conference that was a great great, great, great opportunity. My wife loved the town and she was, she'd sign off on that one. Um, and then she's thrilled that we're here. But, but the point is, is Baylor was the last one, last opportunity. And it turned out to be by far the best. Can you tell, uh, our listeners about Pam? She works, uh, with the Waco police department, victim services volunteer. Yes. I can't imagine uh-huh. what, what her day-to-day work life is like. Well, she, she volunteers two nights a week, six o'clock in the evening till 6 a.m. Wow. And she's on call. And so if there's a, a violent, you know, assault, if there's a car accident of death, something happening that's really traumatic where some victims there were going to need a little comforting or whatever, because the police officers, they're investigating. Mm-hmm. So they don't really have time mm-hmm. to be, you know, just caring and nurturing. And and so the victim services unit sends one of their people. If they're on call, they go. And 
she did that, and I couldn't believe it when she told me that she was going to do this because I thought, you know, Pam, this is this is crazy. There'll be guns, and there'll yeah. be car accidents, and there'll be deaths, and whatever. And and she said the first question they asked her when they were doing orientation was. Uh, are you okay with death? <laughs> she said, I guess so. Wow. <laughs> so, but the point is, is, is it gave her a really nice purpose of something she could do. She knew that it was, is volunteer work, but she could do something that would be helping. When we were in Stillwater, uh, originally she was the director of lodges at Karsten Creek Golf Course. She was the guest services director and everything. But eventually she became the um, director of the Humane Society, which was great. She loved that. And, we got animals out of there, and I, I can't have her working at a humane society because we'll have a hundred animals as long. Like us. Yeah, <laughs> like, too many pets. Not, too many. But um, but she's get she's had real satisfaction out of that. Now she's diabetic, so this COVID deal has slowed her down. She hasn't been doing it as much lately, and I think she'll probably wait until it completely clears to go back. But she loves it. Let's talk a little bit. You you mentioned COVID. Obviously, that's you know caused a lot of things to stop, change, adjust, making sure everyone stays on their toes and is as flexible as possible. Um, your your team, you, you mentioned you guys were ranked very highly. You were doing well. Um, that had to be a shock to have the season completely abrupt. But throughout this process, they've been able to play in some tournaments. I think several of them are playing actually as we speak this week. Um, but how has the you know mentality been getting their seniors back, getting, you know, back on the course here or there, um, that you've been able to communicate with them maybe through a Zoom meeting or something like that. Kind of where's the mental state of your team as of now? I think it's actually pretty good. But they're always wanting questions answered. And as you all know, I mean, what we know today is probably going to be a little different three days from now or four days or a week. So I tell them, you know, flexibility, adapting, adjusting is important. You just have to kind of be ready. It could change. And a lot of things might change this fall. We don't know. So I'm, I, I think just getting them to understand being a, a, a ability to adjust is very important. And honestly, that's the way you play golf. So you have a plan. And like Mike Tyson once said, everybody's got a plan until they get hit. And, you know, yeah. what's your plan after right. you get hit? And so the ability to adjust and change directions and modify what you're doing to fit the situation that's thrown at you is important. Well, that's in golf and it's not that critical when you get right into it. But, you know, this COVID, which has changed the way they go to school, COVID's changed the way they go to a restaurant, COVID's changed the way we travel, it's changed the way we look at, you know, I kind of think it's the, uh, you know, virus, viral model of Mm 9-11. It's like 9-11 changed us forever, whether you like it or not. It's just airports are not the same. right. And so I think some things are going to be different going forward. But again, another life lesson for guys to learn. You know, it, it's it's crazy because, you know, um, everybody thinks they're going to play the PGA Tour. I thought it. You know, so it, that's all their dreams. And I expect them to have that dream. I wouldn't want them on our team if they truly didn't believe that was a, something they were going to shoot for. But the, the reality is at Oklahoma State, I was there 16 years. We had 17 guys play the PGA Tour or the European tour. And that's a big number, but it's small when you think about Mm -hmm. it. It's big compared to a lot of schools, but that's one a year out of this entire team that was one of the best teams in the country. So you really, they're not going to play pro golf by and large, that most of them are not. And so you have to kind of start thinking, am I preparing them for life? Well, one thing about a pandemic is you can start talking about what's this going to look like going forward and what are you going to do with it? So, you know, you always wonder, you look at a kid, you can mope about it, whine about it, lament all these bad things that are happening, or you can do something about it. And so I choose to do something about it. You mentioned the tour. Uh, this year, I believe, is the first ever PGA Tour University rankings that came out. Um, Cooper Dossie came in at number 12. Can you kind of share with the listeners what that is and the benefits of having that type of ranking? Well, I'll give the PGA Tour kudos they they absolutely came up with something here that makes sense and it's honoring college golf and it's honoring the pga tour is full of collegiate athletes i mean guys that played college golf people would say well, what about the europeans okay take those europeans out and then look at what's left and a bunch of those europeans played college golf but the point is is most of the players in the pga tour 
played some form of college golf at some point. And so we're kind of a training ground for them. And we've been producing these players for 50 years that have populated the PGA Tour. And so the PGA Tour thought, you know what, um, it's not ideal when a kid comes out early. We get him, you know, on the tour quicker. But, you know, he would could use another year or so of seasoning. So the PGA Tour came up with this idea, you have to be in your fourth year, so you can't. Now, they don't say you have to hand them a diploma, mm -hmm. but you have to have played your four years of eligibility. So that has to be out. You um, have to be one of the top players in that class of people who are, have no more eligibility left. You can't go to the PGA Tour qualifying in the fall of your senior year. In the past, you've been able to go to the Tour qualifying in the fall. If you make it, you have a choice. Do I want to turn pro now and not and forego them the rest of my senior year, or do I want to come back and – just to see what I get. But now if you do this, you're out of the PGA Tour University ranking. So kids are not going to get go to that tour school in the fall if they know they might have status. And I'll explain that a little bit better. But So they're going to stay. They're not going to go to the tour qualifying in the fall. They're going to stay for their fourth year. And they're going to do – and you have to play in – as far as your team advances, you have to – if your coach wants you in the lineup, you have to play all the way to the end. You can't say, well, my ranking's at fifth, so I'll just not play at nationals and I'll be in. So what it is is the top five kids who – players who are finishing their last year of college, the eligibility, mm -hmm. the top five ranking in that ranking automatically the day after nationals have full status – on the Corn Ferry Tour. Wow. Which is, if if you, I don't know what gold is in other sports, like the most important thing you've got, but in golf, status is the most important thing. Because if you have no place to play, you know, you're coaching yeah. for a living like me. You've got to have a place to play where you can make a living. So status is, is like gold. So if, but normally after the NCAA championship, they'd have to depend upon a few sponsor exemptions that summer hopefully get them but then you have to play great in those but only about four players in history five players in history have gone through their summer sponsor exemptions and got their pga tour card that year uh justin leonard university of texas tiger woods and the three players last year uh um, victor Hovland from oklahoma state matthew wolf from oklahoma state and colin morikawa from cal berkeley but that doesn't happen well so you, you don't get status that way. So you have to wait all summer long and then go to the PGA Tour qualifying in the fall. So, But with no status whatsoever, you have to go earn it. So this gives the top five players full status on that tour the day after national championship is over. And then the 6 through 15, and Cooper is in there right now in that mm -hmm. initial ranking, that 6 through 15 has full status on the Latino America or the McKenzie Tour, which is Canadian, or the PGA Tour China. So those three tours, you don't have to qualify for those. You're automatically on those mm -hmm. for that summer. And you're in the final uh, in the second stage of the Corn Ferry qualifying in the fall. So you go to a regular qualifying, then a second stage, and then the final stage. Well, they'd automatically get you in the second stage, so you forego that first qualifying. Yeah. The guys who are one through five have that status immediately the day after nationals. But let's say they missed all the cuts in all ten tournaments they got to play in. They still are in the finals of the Porn Ferry School. Hmm. So they could they get nine, ten chances to play. If they don't play well in that, they're still in the finals. So it's just a leg up. So um, a lot of people would say, well, what do these guys on tour think? Well, they have not taken any opportunities away from PGA Tours. They've, they've added opportunities. Five opportunities is what's been added. So it's not like they took a job from a guy who's existing. It's like they added five spots. So that part's great. Uh, and every one of those guys playing the PGA Tour had to earn it through a tour qualifying and toiling through many tours and all that. They would have killed to have this spot, you know, this opportunity. So I think it's the greatest initiative the PGA Tour has come up with. For one, it's going to keep our players in school. And knowing that, uh, you're going to do everything as a coach and as an academic advisor to make sure that they're on track so they can finish right before the NCAA championship with their senior year. And you're going to, you know, and we've got 14, 15 straight years of graduating Baylor golfers. Yeah, every one of them's graduated uh, that's gone four years. Wow. Or five. That's terrific. So, yeah, it's, that's a long stretch. And Greg Priest started that before I got here, and we've continued it for six years since I've been here. But 
most college, you know, I had a bunch of guys turn pro early out of Oklahoma State, and that that was devastating. Uh, all of them made the PGA Tour. It's, it's like they were <laughs> it's all good for them, but right. devastating for the program. And as Mike Holder once told me, he says, you know, that's a pretty high-class problem you got. All <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, and it was. But uh, We can't let you get away without uh, you telling us and explaining this. What's the term, linear Oh yes, yeah. linear. What's the other? What's the term? A linear continuum. That's it. Yeah. So explain to us your linear continuum memory, which the little bit that I know about it, it's it's amazing. Well, I, believe it or not, I came up with this when I was seven. I was explaining this to my <laughs> assistant coach at Oklahoma State because he said, "How do you have this memory?" Right. Uh, and what got him started on this was because the guys would always quiz me on PGA Tour, major championships, whatever, and I just knock it out of the ballpark every time and. Alan always thought that was pretty good. And then finally when we got smartphones, you could Google something to check me, fact check me, and that was fine because I was answering them correctly. Right. And one day somebody said, uh, the Rolling Stones are in concert in Dallas. I said, yeah, you know, I saw them November 1st, 1981. <laughs> and Alan Brown, Alan's driving the uh, – the, he says, coach, I don't know. No, <laughs> no way did you do so that. So one of the guys got his phone out and – Google it, and sure enough, the Rolling Stones were there, and they were with the fabulous Thunderbirds, the Pat Travers Band, and um, ZZ Top. And it's like I, I said all that, and he was going, how do you do that? And so that, then I explained to him this linear continuum. So it's an oval, a linear oval. And what part of the year do you want to last the longest as a young kid? You summer. Want, you want summer yeah. to last the longest. But ultimately, it's only three months, but you want it to mm-hmm. last. So that's mm-hmm. one of the long uh, arms of this oval. And then what, in reality, what part does last the longest? Yeah. School, School year, it's nine right. months, and it lasts the longest. So it's just a long oval for each year. And plotted on each one of those ovals is the months, uh, January all the way through around to December. And I would just kind of, if you say a month and a year, right? say one right now, and I'll tell you what. What was going on in my life? Okay, August of 1977. August of 77, okay. Elvis Presley died on the 16th of August that year. He was 41 <laughs> years of age. People fact check him. No, my, yeah, yeah. <laughs> my mom did survive cancer that summer. Uh, I uh, played in the state junior and at Surrey Hills in Oklahoma City. And, uh, yeah, I got a horrible sunburn, and my senior picture is just a terrible senior picture. Oh, my god, Yeah, it's really bad. Because I've got a burnt, burnt sun right. burn. Um, uh, yep. So that's what was happening right then. Unbelievable. Yeah. yeah. So that's it, wild. Every, every year. Can you then, bottle this? Can you, uh, uh, you, can <laughs> can can you market you this? It? Yeah. <laughs> if I was interested in uh, sports or if I was interested in music or any sort of pop culture or whatever, if something was interesting to me, it's, it's on one of right. those ovals. Right. So that's kind of an unusual deal. And Alan Bratton was telling me, he said, that's not so amazing. What's amazing is a seven-year-old came up with that. Mm-hmm. I said, well, I just had to kind of start categ- organizing my life and remember all these all these things that were happening to me. That's amazing. <laughs> that's amazing. Well, and that's, you, that's another book for you. Yeah. Right? Just <laughs> that. Yeah. That's a psychological – I mean, that's a psychiatrist is what that is. <laughs> I need to go. I need to get help for that. No, well, you've proven – it several times. I know you just gave that example, but I mean, rattling off names and dates and things of your past, just telling us all about those details. Um, we can't thank you enough for sharing all of those stories with us and taking the time to visit with us. We know you're, you're busy, but, um, while everything is still very fluid right now, um, we can, we can all hope and that's a for sure thing. Um, so hoping that the fall is, perfectly like we would like it um, with this new normal. What would you say you're looking forward to most when Baylor Athletics or specifically Baylor Golf get to return? Well, one, I love a college football game in the fall. Those are so much fun. I've always loved – I love an evening game in the fall. There's, there's nothing like that in, in to me in athletics. It's a lot better than pro football. It's uh, just about as good as it gets. But just have athletes on campus just to see – their faces because they're they're not going to take for granted this opportunity. I don't think ever again. If they did before, they certainly won't. Uh, I'm not going to get upset about having to go recruiting. I'm not going to get upset about our travel. Uh, you know, it's easy to get kind of that. That's all out the window because it's like we want this opportunity now and we we want it. So just seeing their faces and seeing the excitement in their faces. That, you know, we've got this year ahead of us. Let's go get it. And um, you know, just to kind of see how they handle it summer because i haven't seen them 
pretty much since March 15th. Lots of communication, but I haven't seen them. So that's all I really want out of the year is just to get them back on campus. Well, we appreciate your time. We really do. It's great to come uh, into the Billy W. Williams Golf Practice Facility and Clubhouse and into your office here. And uh, our best to Pam and your dogs and yeah. take care of them. And glad everyone is safe and healthy. And we appreciate your time. Thanks very much. Well, thank you all for, very much. I really enjoyed it. Appreciate it. Yeah. For uh, Brooke Bednarz, I'm John Morris. We appreciate Coach Mike McGraw, Baylor men's golf coach, being with us on this week's Sikkim Podcast. Join us next week for another Sikkim Podcast. You've been listening to the Sikkim Podcast, presented by your friend in the car business, Alan Samuels Dodge Chrysler Jeep Ram Fiat in Waco, online at alansamuelsdcj.com. The Sikkim Podcast has been a production of Baylor Athletics.